I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. This is David. This is your new episode of Base Layer, And I have someone who has been in this world for many, many years, nine plus years. And as I've said before, in the world of digital assets, every year, and this is from Zakimanian back in the day, every year in digital assets and crypto is about 10 years in human life. So I'm going to give Peter Smith, the CEO of blockchain.com, about 90 years of experience. Peter, how are you? Well, um, I definitely feel a little tired after uh, after the 90 years comment. <laughs> Um, well, it's it's really great to have you here because, again, you were one of the early people in the world here that were pushing forward and building in this space, uh, and you have done some amazing things in that time. So, Peter, if you could, what we'd like to do on the show is kind of go back to the film and see what you did prior to blockchain.com. How did you get into this world initially? What inspired you? Uh, I know there's obviously history on the forums and obviously chats. What inspired you really to get into this world? What inspired you about distributing decentralized technology? What inspired you about Bitcoin? Yeah, so thanks. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was on an email list um, for people really interested in Project R, which is a statistical compute language, an open source project. And someone was on the security list that was also on that Bitcoin was originally shared to. So that's how I first heard about it. But, you know, I didn't take it super seriously until 2011 when there was a bit of a community developed around it um, and started building tools and, and hacking around there. You know, and the reality is, you know, with this many years in, I'm still a pretty young guy. Bitcoin has uh, basically been my entire life now. It's, it's kind of hard to remember a life before uh, blockchain.com. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm originally from the States. I'm... Um, from a little town in the, you know, Appalachian mountains in the Blue Ridge mm-hmm. and, you know, went to school, study math, economics, uh, then went to graduate school in London and have spent most of the last 10 years, you know, in, in Europe, um, really ha- kind of learning a global perspective on the world. Mm-hmm. And that definitely carries through to blockchain.com's character and DNA. You know, the three co-founders, you have a an American guy, an American French guy, and a British guy. So we're a little different from a lot of the Silicon Valley firms. We're very much like a globally focused, um, diverse sort of culture. Right. And so let's delve into what blockchain.com is. And it wasn't always called that. I know it kind of went through an iteration, and you can talk about that. But blockchain.com right now is considered one of the most trusted platforms for transacting in digital assets with over 50 million wallets created and more than 620 billion in transactions. And again, that is 620 billion in transactions. So that's not a small number. And people out there that are learning about this world, 
need to recognize that, that that is a significant number. And that number obviously, hopefully will continue to grow uh, throughout the years. Now, Peter, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of the people who listen to the show are family offices or institutional investors. They're just starting to get a sense of Bitcoin. You know, it's been a few years, you know, they're starting to say, okay, you know, let's, let's stop with the whole scam thing. Let's stop listening to a lot of the talking heads. Let's actually start to take a look at this. And we've seen, you know, institutional investors start to come in in waves over the course of this year, especially I think COVID was a catalyst for that. And in response to that, we saw obviously mass fiscal and monetary stimulus that has created some thought that there could be, you know, future inflationary issues in the basement of up dollars, which in turn has also gotten more people interested in Bitcoin in this world of digital assets. So for those that are just starting to scratch the surface with all of your experience, how would you explain to someone who's learning about this world what blockchain.com is really about? So we do something very simple, which is just to make it easier for people and institutions to be part of the crypto financial system. And so really we're focused on building products that enable you to take part in that system, which we view as an economic system, whether that's, you know, investing, trading, you know, building infrastructure, um, or transacting inside that economy, we're sort of there to be your trusted partner. And we do that across, you know, consumers in 120 countries and institutions all over the world. And I want to get a sense, you know, in terms of what do you think, you know, for those that are learning, they would come to you specifically for liquidity purposes, they come for you for wallet, they come for you for what specifically do you think for those again, you know, those that are not necessarily crypto native, they would come to you initially for what? Usually because they're coming to us to learn, right? So our website is blockchain.com. We have a really large SEO presence. So you know, people end up navigating to our site and learn about crypto. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of really interesting data, really interesting content. So people will, you know, check that out and then decide where they want to get involved. You know, whether that's on the trading side or investing side or, you know, even the institutional side. But but people usually first come to us for information. Right. So I want to get your ideas on we're going to talk about some of the things in terms of sentiment. We're also going to kind of talk about some of the things that are happening in the news. Uh, but the first kind of you know line of thoughts I want to share or I want you to think about. So again, you've been at this for a while. And again, that's not derogatory. That's actually, you know, someone of your, you know, kind of, you know, history in the space, I think it's few and far between. And it's actually quite important because you've seen so much. You've lived through the the down periods. You've lived through the euphoria. You've seen it have its fits and starts. And so today, as you, we were talking before we started recording, obviously Bitcoin is almost you know 19,500. You know, some people obviously have said over the last few days when it reached around 19.8 that it reached its all-time high. Obviously, there's always great online discussions about what the all-time high was. But regardless of that, you know, this seems to be a market that is taking off and it's starting to mature. Um, you know, what do you think about the state of the markets right now, as opposed to the early days in 2011? Well, I mean, 2011 to 2020, that's a big, uh, big comparison. But look, I think what's different about the market today is how many people are involved in it. You know, any monetary or economic system is fundamentally about belief. And you've never had more people believe in a market 
in a crypto market than believe in the crypto market today. And I think that's really exciting. And that's the biggest difference from now, you know, to 2011. In 2011, you probably had less than a thousand people that believed in it. Today, you have hundreds of thousands who believe, you know, who log in every single hour and you have tens of millions around the world that believe in this economic system. And that is incredibly special and important. So I know one of the things that blockchain.com does, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you have a process for interest accounts. So one could deposit Bitcoin or other digital assets. I think Ethereum is one of the other ones potentially, or some of the other ones, you know, let us know which ones you can deposit and earn interest. And so this has been something that irrespective, I think a lot of people are trying to say, okay, this is new. I'm going to, you're probably going to, you're probably going to tell me this is not new. And obviously we've seen this over the course of the last few years, but this has been a new revelation that you can make a, what some people consider a non-productive asset productive and earn interest. And I think we started to see some very large players like Visa take interest in that. And some of the other large legacy uh, financial institutions take notice of that. Talk to us about that. You know, what was, how did you drive that? What kind of reaction are you getting from that? And, you know, is that a very considerable part of what's happening within blockchain.com's kind of offering these days? Yeah, great questions. Um, we're seeing a huge amount of growth in that, um, in that particular feature. So hundreds of millions of deposits from consumers in the last few uh, months alone. And, you know, you can deposit Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and, and many other cryptos as well as stable coins. And customers really love that feature because the long-term effect of compound interest is really significant to the return profile on the customer's account. Um, and so, you know, not every feature you launch is successful. That one is really growing quite fast. And I believe another one that you have there is what we would define as called a block explorer, which allows you to check transactions on the Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and Ethereum networks. For those, again, that are learning, how would you equate that? If you were to think about, you know, kind of taking yourself outside of our sandbox that we live in every single day, and you were trying to explain what a block explorer was to somebody, how would you explain that? I would just tell them that it's a search engine. So a search engine, you know, for the internet, like Google.com organizes all the information on the internet. Mm -hmm. A block explorer just organizes all the information about crypto networks transactions, prices, everything you need to know. Yep. And that's usually that information that people are coming to our site to get, you know, some, uh, to get some exposure to. Right. And so would you say that it's fair to say over the evolution of your time in this space from 2011 to now that the discovery and the research and the analytic has incredibly increased and exponentially increased? For sure. You know, I mean, in 2011, it was two dudes and, <laughs> now there's a team of people at blockchain that work on data analysis and research as you know and most of them have phds right this is a really important point we're making it you know as a kind of an office off the cuff point but this is a really important point i want people to you know to sink in this is that part of the maturation of you know bitcoin and the surrounding asset class is this function of research of transparency of price discovery of data this was not in abundance during the last bull run in 2017. 
there was some function, and obviously blockchain.com was part of that function, but that function has dramatically increased to the point where you have the ability for investors to get a much finer ability and understanding of how these blockchains and where the value is accruing. It is a very, very different point in time than it was during the last bull run. Would you agree or disagree? I'd agree with that. I think the infrastructure you know, has come a huge, huge way since the last run. And thinking back more on the sentiment side. So again, we've alluded to the fact that it's a different ball game. You know, the infrastructure has dramatically, you know, improved. And we've seen obviously this evolutionary process. Uh, and we're seeing things like interest that you can make on digital assets, whereas that wasn't really a function in the market a few years ago. And all of this is building up to, you know, people getting very bullish again, in terms of price predictions and not um, dare not ask you for that. That's not something that I ever do on the show. And I don't really like people that go into the price predictions. But we have seen a point in time where we are reaching for the stars, if you will. And obviously, part of the narrative is, you know, shooting for the moon. But we are seeing, you know, things happen in terms of Bitcoin, obviously passing its all time high. We are seeing legendary investors like a Paul Tudor Jones going on, you know, TV regularly. He just was on today, which is December 3rd. He was just on Yahoo Finance talking about Bitcoin in a very, very positive manner. These are things that were not in existence a few years ago. We didn't have, you know, the infrastructure. We didn't have the data. We didn't have the investors that were coming into it. And I'm not saying you need to have Paul Tudor Jones and others in it to get to these levels, but it definitely helps for more adoption purposes. What do you think happens after we, you know, break, you know, an all-time high in Bitcoin and some of these other digital assets? Do you think that we, you know, see some sort of, you know, mass kind of FOMO? Do we think that we, you know, we're going to see, you know, we're, you know, hearing people talking about more regulation because it's going to get on the regulators kind of dockets these days? What do you think happens after we kind of break some of these new highs? It's a great question. Um I think, you know, as <clears throat> many times before, the market will get extremely rational and then extremely irrational. And when the market gets extremely irrational, it's going to do what it does and that happens and, you know, it'll correct. But, you know, the long-term macro on crypto is really the story of a world in which the asset base is constantly inflating in the traditional financial system and crypto can be the hedge against that. Right. You know, and so, you know, if you're asking me where crypto is going to go over many years, I can tell you very confidently, but if you're asking me where crypto is going in any particular cycle, there's really just no way of predicting it. Um, so, you know, that's how I'd be thinking about it mm -hmm. now, you know, in terms of where the market's at today, I think the market's actually in a really good place because there was so much time to like build back up after the last big cycle. And so today, like the infrastructure is really good. The market is in very solid shape. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, the, it's really a sign to the maturation of it, but you know, the market it can easily get irrational. Right. And that irrational versus rational, Again, some of the players that are coming into the space are adding some rationality to it, potentially. 
again, not necessary. I know there are people out there who will listen to this and say, well, you don't need to have a bunch of, you know, tech companies and, you know, stodgy old white guys who are investing in this. And I get it. You know, there's a, there's both sides of the story here. I get it. Um, but it does help that, you know, a company like MicroStrategy purchased $425 million worth of Bitcoin for their treasury, that Square is an advocate now and is buying for their treasury, you know, that we're starting to see corporations throughout, you know, the United States and potentially, I think actually even one in the United Kingdom actually started to acquire Bitcoin for their treasury. You know, what do you think, you know, who do you think is next in this kind of adoption curve? Is it more corporations? Is it sovereign nations that start to acquire Bitcoin and other digital assets? Obviously, the, the conversation around CBCDs. You know, who do you think is next in that adoption curve? I think the next thing you're going to have to see is um, is central banks. Maybe, maybe like bulge bracket investment bank adding to the balance sheet. Okay. Interesting. Because that'll be big, right? Like another, you know, if um, Accenture acquires some Bitcoin on their balance sheet, mm-hmm. I don't think that changes the game. All right. Because MicroStrategy already did it. Right. Interesting. If JP Morgan so- went out and acquired a bunch of Bitcoin, like you would be like, whoa, yeah. what just happened? Right. That's true. And uh, maybe one of these days, Jamie Dimon will actually, you know, talk about that because there's always been that rumor that, you know, when he's been, you know, kind of down talking Bitcoin that he's been buying it on the behind the scenes, who knows. Um, But again, that's purely rumor. We have no validation of that whatsoever. Anyway, going back to your, you know, your function in the market, what blockchain.com is doing, for 2021, for 2022, as we've been talking, we feel that there's going to be more adoption. There's going to be more visibility. Uh, there's going to be more interest in this asset class. What's on the roadmap for you guys going there? You know, What are you guys going to be putting out? What are you guys thinking about in terms of new functions, new platforming capacity? What are you thinking about? You'll probably see us spend a lot of time on derivatives. So we think the derivative market is really maturing. Um, and so we'll invest pretty heavily into our derivative offering, probably not so much like on exchange traded derivatives, but OTC and like very exotic and specialized derivative offerings, you know, out of our institutional business. Got it. I think the last question I have and hot button topic, but you know, one of the things that is core to you is wallets. Um, and you know, that's been kind of one of your core pieces for, you know, a while, a while, you know, it's a built-in wallet that you, that the user controls. And about a week ago, uh, I believe Steve Mnuchin here in the United States spoke very negatively about that. Um, and I'm not asking you to rebut, you know, him directly, but in your thinking, you know, obviously over the nine plus years, the importance of wallets, uh, of what wallets are for digital assets. For those, again, that are learning about this asset class, learning about, you know, this asset, this technology, what is the importance of wallets, you know, for them as they learn? Obviously, we've had many people talk about hot and cold storage, but wallets in terms of regulatory kind of oversight, what do you think about that? Well, I think the regulatory picture is constantly evolving. 
And we work hand in hand with regulators all over the world to try to evolve that to a positive place. I think when I step back though from that conversation, which is largely led by you know a team of people at blockchain that I'm not part of, um, the wallet is really the center of everything in crypto. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about the communications revolution, you think about your smartphone being the center of that. This idea that like anywhere, anytime you can access any of the world's information high speed from your pocket. In crypto, your wallet is that. It's that central focal access point to everything else in the crypto economy and in the crypto financial system. So there's nothing more important than the wallet. Right. And I think that the wallet is probably in a really interesting design space because it's an entirely new kind of technical challenge. And that's why all these years later, I still wake up and am pumped to work on a wallet. Um, you know, our wallet is very, very popular. It's about 30% of all Bitcoin transactions. You know, the next nearest competitor is about 12%. So people love the wallet. And that's probably something that we're most proud of here. That's a great comment. And so for anyone who is, you know, obviously we'll have show notes here and we'll link to, you know, sites, but if anyone, you know, I'm sure there are some blog posts or anything like that, you guys, anything that you want to point people to here while they're listening, feel free to do so, so they can learn more about blockchain.com. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, if you're getting into the crypto space and you want to talk about how to be, you know, allocated inside of it in a really smart way, you know, give us a shout. Um, you can email me directly. My email is just peter at blockchain.com. Uh, and I eventually do get through it all. And at the end of the day, you know, we're just excited about building this ecosystem and building a financial system for the internet. So if you are excited about that vision, you know, I'd invite you to get in touch. Awesome. This was Peter Smith, the CEO at blockchain.com, someone who has been in this world for a while in a very good way and has a lot of different, obviously, historical experiences with it. So, Peter, thank you for coming on. Hopefully we can have you on in 2021, catch up, and uh, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.